Are we seeing the last of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves in Blackhawks uniforms? We discuss on today's crossover episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Blackhawks. You're Locked on Wild. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota Wild. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to a special crossover episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Blackhawks, part of the Locked on Sports Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you for making both Locked on Wild and Locked on Blackhawks your first listen each and every day. Just a reminder, both shows are free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.net. Betonline.net has you covered This season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. You can find all of it at BetOnline, where the game starts. On today's crossover episode, we take a look at how things have gone for both the Wild and the Blackhawks with an off-season check-in. We are uh, going to be taking a look at some of the big moves, big trades, both teams making some trades. We'll see where things are at as we move through, my name is Seth Topal, the fearless leader of Locked on Wild, veteran Minnesota sports content producer with well over a decade's worth of experience covering your favorite Minnesota sports teams, now guiding you through the offseason here on Locked on Wild, joined by the host of Locked on Blackhawks, Jack Bushman. Jack, it is offseason time, and uh, it's been a minute since we've had a chance to check in on how our teams have been doing a busy offseason for Chicago, so uh, why don't we start right there? A lot of trades, a lot of moves with uh, a couple of veteran players still in the mix that may not be as the season moves on. So uh, let's just start with what was the trade that shocked you the most by Chicago this offseason? Yeah, it's it's been... Uh... A chaotic past few months. It slowed down a little bit as we're now in August here, Seth. But yeah, it's been, I was just thinking about this the other day. I was just thinking about how new everything is for the Blackhawks, right? New head coach, Luke Richardson, even though Kyle Davidson was here in the second half of last season, new general manager, a heck of a whole lot of new players, new mentality behind the organization. It's it's crazy right now. Um, but I to answer your question, I think... The, the trade that's going to come to every Blackhawks fan mind, Blackhawks fans mind when you talk about this offseason is Alex Dabrinkit. Not the trade in alone of itself, because we really shouldn't have been too surprised by that. The weeks leading up to when that deal happened, the first day of the NHL draft, uh, th- there were a lot of rumors that Alex Dabrinkit was more than likely going to get moved. It seemed like a matter of when and not if at that point, but the, the trade in itself wasn't shocking. I would say the return for what we got for Alex Dabrinkit was a little bit underwhelming. Um, a lot of people were thinking the Blackhawks were going to get multiple first-round picks. They only end up getting one here, a high second-round pick as well. Uh, they added to their prospect pool by getting Kevin Korchinski with the seventh overall selection, but I think everyone was a little underwhelmed at what Alex Dabrinkit was able to net. Now, he didn't go and sign an extension with the Ottawa Senators and that's something that potentially could have cost the Blackhawks a little bit I feel like if he had reached an agreement with Ottawa for multiple years moving forward the Blackhawks could have commanded more 
but they weren't able to get a whole lot, man. Only one first-round pick here. It, it really stung at the end of the day to give away a 24-year-old two-time 40-goal scorer for that type of return. And also, Ottawa, they've been building up prospects for years and years and years. They have one of the deepest prospect pools in the entire NHL, and not to nab a single player from that pool to to get in return for Alex Dabrinkit, I mean – I was just absolutely stunned, man, and a little bit heartbroken that, you know, I knew Dabrinkit was probably going to go, but that type of return added insult to injury a little bit. So, yeah, that's the one that I think is going to sting for the Blackhawks and kind of the one move I think so far that Kyle Davidson rightfully so deserves critique for because everyone across the league was saying what a steal Ottawa got and got for uh getting Alex Dabrinkit, who we know is one of the elite goal scorers in the NHL already at such a young age, Seth. You know, it's fascinating because you look at the anatomy of that trade, you look at the anatomy of the Kevin Fiala trade, and it almost seems like what Chicago was hoping for happened with what the Wild were able to do with trading Kevin Fiala to the Kings. They got some more back in return because Fiala signed the long-term extension to stay with the Kings got a prospect back in return, and it just goes to show you, and I think this is you know the quote that Bill Guerin had after the Fiala trade, is, look, we thought this was a fair deal and we didn't want to wait for things to, you know, maybe you have the chance that a deal gets sweetened the later you wait, but you maybe also have the chance that you end up having less teams interested and therefore a lower return in return. Yeah, that's kind of the scenario I think the Blackhawks found themselves in. It would have done a whole lot, um, would have done their front office a favor had Alex Dabrinkit been willing to, to sign that extension. I don't know if that was even talked about or whatnot, but it definitely seemed to hinder the value a little bit. And yeah, man, it, it's going to be crazy to look at the Blackhawks next year. It's going to be a whole completely different team. And uh, for better or worse, we're going to find out in years to come. Um, but it's definitely not been an easy offseason for us fans, knowing what the product on the ice is, is probably going to look like here in a month or two. And it's it's a two-pronged approach. You've got what you're building towards, but you also have a couple of longtime franchise mainstays who are kind of in limbo right now. Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, do they stick with the team do they end up being traded to a contender at the deadline or before? What's your feeling on that? Do you think they end up sticking around longer, or is the writing on the wall that those two guys will be wearing a different uniform before the season is over? Yeah, that seems to be the question that everyone's asking me when we're doing crossovers <laughs> right now is, what's the status on Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze? What's happening there? Um, the latest we know is it seems like the trade deadline is going to be the most likely scenario for them to get dealt. Just feels a little bit unrealistic that either of them sign extensions at this point. First for Patrick Kane, um, I feel like he's a little bit more likely to stay than Jonathan Taves is, given that there are some records that he can set. And um, it just feels like he's the more likely one of the two to stay. But at the same time, the Blackhawks front office really hasn't done him any favors over the years. I've, I've talked about this on every show I've been on discussing this topic, but look at all the players that Patrick Kane has had success with that the Blackhawks have traded. It's literally been each and every one. It's like each youngster that comes up through the pipelines or they acquire they put him on the on the line with Kaner. He, he, they, they're getting some chemistry, and then for whatever reason, it only ends up lasting a year or two. We saw it with Nick Schmaltz 
or Tommy Panera and Alex Dabrinkit. There's more that I'm leaving out of there too, but it's probably been very frustrating for Patrick Kane. And I wouldn't be surprised if Alex Dabrinkit moving him was kind of the straw that broke, broke the camel's back, if you will, because Kane just really enjoyed playing with the Brinkett. They always had a good time together. Kaner spoke in his end of the season press conference about how if DeBrinket was here long-term, it would be easier to see him here long-term. And they just really haven't done him any favors in that area. So I ultimately do think it's likely that both of them are gone come trade deadline time. It gives them a little bit more time to get their farewell tour, if you will, with the Blackhawks. Also, with the team probably not going to be very good next year, Seth, it's one reason to entice fans to come on down to the UC. Uh, I think moving them at the deadline makes the most sense, personally. Jonathan Taves, the, the, I didn't touch, about, touch on him at all, but I did want to say that he's just been reluctant to commit to the Blackhawks moving forward. He said time and time again when he's been asked about his future and what he wants to do, I don't want to – I can't get mad at the guy for speaking the honest truth and saying he honestly doesn't know what he wants to do, but hearing your, what, 13-, 14-year captain not commit to the team moving forward, it's never a good sign, right? Yeah. So, yeah, for both of these guys, I think the most likely outcome is that they get traded at, at the deadline, Seth. Okay. Well, it's obviously some uh, some changing landscapes in Chicago, and we'll discuss how that factors in to the rest of the division to end today's show. But I do want to give you the opportunity to flip it. Obviously, the Wild have had a few moves that they've made themselves. So we'll uh, we'll turn our attention to the Minnesota Wilds offseason as we continue today's special crossover episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Blackhawks after this. Today's episode is brought to you by the fine folks at betonline.net. BetOnline.net has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. You can find any possible information you're looking for, whether it be news on your favorite team, whether it be podcasts, whether it be lines for games that you are going to be keeping an eye on. NFL is coming up here before you know it. Major League Baseball is in the thick of their season, and... The NHL will be getting going here before too long as well. So plenty of information for you to digest as you get ready to start putting wagers down on your favorite sports teams. So head to betonline.net or pop onto your mobile phone to check out all of the latest info from your betting leaders. Betonline.net, where the game starts. Continuing today's episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Blackhawks, Seth Topol joined by Jack Bushman. And Jack, let's flip it. Obviously, the Wild have had uh, some moves that they've made, a flurry of roster moves, as it were. Uh, And so uh, go ahead. Any questions you've got, uh, I'm an open book uh, for how things have gone in Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. I have a few questions that I want to ask you. Um, First, Something that came out just a few days ago, some of our listeners might have seen, but the Central Division rankings was posted uh, by the Lockdown NHL uh, channel on Twitter and the Wild. When I was listing the teams and ranking them, I really wasn't sure what to do with them, to be honest, because 
they have made a couple of moves, but I also feel like it was a fairly quiet off season for them. And also something that you've talked about, like each and every time that we've done the show is how limited they're going to be financially because of the buyouts of, of, uh, Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. Ryan Suter. Thank you. I apologize. Um, but I just wanted to ask you overall, I mean, what is kind of your feeling on the Minnesota Wilds offseason? They moved Kevin Fiala. Uh, I want to save the Cam Talbot conversation. That just by itself, I want to get into that alone. But it feels like really like Kevin Fiala was trading that was the major move that they made. And then a couple of splashes here and there. But for maybe, you know, the Blackhawks fans who aren't too up to date with the Wild, kind of fill us in on the moves that they did make and kind of your feeling on it all in all. Well, uh, obviously, the Kevin Fiala trade is the big one, as uh, that has been, it seems, in the works for uh, for a while or had been. Uh, Bill Guerin pretty vocal about uh, the anticipated outcome there. So uh, that was the big one. You had a couple of guys that the Wild acquired at the trade deadline that um, didn't end up sticking around, most notably Nick DeLaurier. Some uh, some re-signings, Jacob Middleton being the biggest one, uh, helping kind of shore up that decor. The big theme... And obviously, you have the Cam Talbot trade for Philip Gustafson as well, but uh, we'll we'll discuss that in uh, in detail here in a bit. The big theme here for the Wild is that they are hoping that they get similar things to happen uh, this season that they had last year. You had all these guys: Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, Matt Zuccarello, Kevin Fiala, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, who had career seasons and helped set the franchise record for goals scored in a season. More importantly, you had the emergence of Matt Boldy midway through the year to really give the Wild that second-line scoring punch. The Wild are hoping that this year, Marco Rossi can continue a trend of Wild rookies who have come to the NHL level and have really impressed. You had Kirill Kaprizov winning the Calder Trophy. If Matt Boldy is healthy the entire season, I'm sorry. He's winning the Calder. I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now. And so you have those two guys. You now have Marco Rossi, who the Wild are hoping can continue that trend of rookies that can impress. You uh, are hoping that we get a full season of Matt Boldy uh, with solid production there. I think the biggest thing that the Wilds and they may this may not be something that has been said, but in my feeling, the Wild are hoping for a bounce back in the special teams department, especially. That is one area that I think can really help this team. You lose an eighty-five point scorer in Kevin Fiala, and what are some ways that you can help get back some of that offense? It's power play goals. It's limiting opponents on special teams. The Wild special teams unit was terrible last year, and it really held them back. Um, it, it came up again in the series against the St. Louis Blues. It was just they were giving up power play goals. They weren't scoring on the power play. You can't do that. So as much as they would like to fill that lack of production uh, with the departure of Kevin Fiala, I feel like it's going to be more a situation where they try to limit the goals they score while trying to fill as much of that loss of offense as they can. But if they get a little better goaltending all season uh, than they did at points 
and if they improve the special teams unit, I think this wild team, maybe not a franchise record-breaking season, but I think they can still be a good team. It's just they're going to have to commit to some of those other areas. Everybody loves the goals. Everybody loves seeing the goals scored. But the Wild are going to need to recommit to some of those key areas and probably dig into what they were in previous seasons, a little more of a gritty team uh, to uh, to come away with some victories. I think it's certainly attainable, but you know it's it's going to be something that they're going to have to work at collectively. So before we move on to my next question, I, I do want to ask you, where did you rank the Wild when you answered that poll, Seth? Where did you have them? I had them at I had them at two. Um, yeah, I felt like you would. I think I had them at four, to be honest. But my, I had no idea what to do with them. My my reasoning, and we'll we'll talk about this more to to end the show as well. But my reasoning being that it just didn't seem like anybody else in the Central Division really did anything to separate themselves. I mean, I guess you could say Nashville by getting Ryan McDonough and also by they're so, uh, weird. They're, they're so weird. Yeah, I I can't I can't trust them. But like St. Louis. Had uh, some some major losses, retained some players. Um, Ville Huso is is going to be one that's felt, especially if Jordan Bennington struggles. Um, Dallas, Nashville, all those teams. It feels like they had losses. They had some signings, but just like the Wild, they had some losses as well. So it just it's a group that is just really lumped together for me. So two through four, um, two through five could end up being really in any order you want it to be. And I feel like those teams are all pretty close. Yeah, I can completely agree on that end. Uh, Moving on to my next question, two-parter, both about the goaltender position for the Minnesota Wild. Talk to me about what the heck happened with that Cam Talbot situation, because you'd know better than I would. I saw some things on Twitter. I saw the back and forth that was kind of had. Um, what really happened there and kind of what were your feelings on that? Uh, and then the second part is the Marc-Andre Fleury signing. How do you feel about that? Are you confident with him as the one going forward now that Cam Talbot's out of the picture? Uh, talk to me about the whole goaltending scenario of the Minnesota Wild this upcoming season, because I think it is going to be very crucial for this team. It is, 100%. And I can give you I can give you the entire scope in a truncated way because of the amount of times that uh, that I've I've discussed this topic. So, what happened was obviously you had the goalie tandem down the stretch between Flurry and Talbot after Flurry was acquired at the deadline. People within that rotation were not super psyched to do it again, and so you have on the uh, at the draft you have Cam Talbot's agent voicing some displeasure about the fact that uh, the Wild are going to go into a goalie tandem once again uh, for this upcoming season. Trying to leverage, because the other part of this too, is that Cam Talbot was the lesser paid of the two options. Not by much, but he still was the lesser paid of the two options. And so um, that was something that didn't sit well with the uh, the Talbot camp. Also having to do the 50-50 split. And um, the the entirety of what happened in the postseason against the Blues obviously didn't sit well either. So you have all these factors that kind of come together. And then you have the exchange between Talbot's agent and Bill Guerin, who basically said, look, I don't have to do anything for you guys. If you're not happy 
with the uh, the situation that we have with this team, that's tough. We're we're going into the season with these two guys in net, and that you're just going to have to accept that that is is how things are going to play. Like he wasn't going to be hardballed into trying to work out maybe some sort of a new deal for Talbot, give him a little more money, ensure that he was going to be the starter, any of that. He just he put his foot down and he said, I'm not going to do it. So then after that, Garen kind of thought to himself, you know, if Talbot doesn't want to be here and he maybe, he maybe isn't super thrilled with the situation but not somebody that's like, making waves or anything. Like, I think he would have gone into this season just fine. Um, but Garen was like, if he doesn't want to be here, let's let's accommodate that and let's send him somewhere else. So they send him to Ottawa. They get Philip Gustafson, <laughs> a, uh, a young goalie who was expected to be the goalie of the future in Ottawa. It obviously didn't work out that way. So Gustafson coming back. And you now have Fleury as the de facto starter. Gustafson is the backup. And basically, the Wilds can go into the next couple of seasons essentially just trying to fill time until Jesper Wallstad is ready. He's going to be in Iowa this year. If he dominates in Iowa, it's not going to shock me at all if he ends up getting the call and um, ends up being on the Wild roster uh, a year from now. It all depends on when he is ready to go. And so you have Fleury who signed to a one-year deal plus an option is what I'm calling the contract because if he retires after this season, it doesn't hurt the Wild at all. So nice little nice little add in there. Um, so it's basically one year and an option. You have him. You have Gustafson. If Gustafson doesn't work out, he's a restricted free agent after the season, so you can figure out what to do with him there. If Flurry doesn't work out, he wants to retire after the end of the season, then you know, okay, we're going to need to go get somebody that can be our starter with limited funds. If Flurry comes back, okay, he's the starter. Maybe Wallstead works his way into the backup. If Gustafson works out and Flurry works out, then you keep both and there's less pressure on Wallstead to have to like rapidly ascend to the NHL level. So, it's, it's really just trying to fill the pieces of the puzzle, and I don't think there's anybody more than Marc-Andre Fleury that realizes he's going to need to pick up his performance. I mean, he went 9-2 and two down the stretch with the Wild, but some of the underlying numbers, he, he got worked around a little bit by uh, some of the more playoff-caliber teams in a uh, Minnesota uniform. There's nobody that is more critical of his own performance than Fleury, and uh, I would imagine that he has worked with the team, is working with the team to uh, get back to more of that form that we expect from him uh, that we saw with Vegas. Uh, and so, you know, if the Wilds can get some of that too, that's going to go a long way for them to uh, be able to get things back on track in the Central Division. Yeah, I always had a feeling that Flurry was likely going to resign with Minnesota. And it sounds like with this option as you've put it that it, it puts the wild in a good spot regardless right like we know Jesper Wallstead just had an amazing world junior he's looking very promising I'm still kind of surprised that he wasn't the first goaltender taken in, in last year's NHL draft 
Uh, but Flurry, I mean, if you're going to have a placeholder waiting for pieces of the puzzle in later years to step onto the scene, that's, you know, one heck of a guy to do it. Uh, and the playoffs, maybe he wasn't great, but you know that he's a guy that has that fire inside him and is always a true competitor. We even saw with the Blackhawks when, you know, he's getting five or six goals scored on him night in and night out. He's still getting just as upset. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting spot, but a good spot for the Wilds goaltender position to be in after kind of a, a wild offseason, if you will, wink, wink for um for that position in particular but uh to, to round things out Seth the only final question that I had for you was are are the wild going to be better than they were last year can they make a run similar to what they had last year but with more playoff success obviously they were a first round exit to St. Louis what what's the what's the mood around the wild heading into the season and also what would you say is the fan expectation like are, are they still high on this team despite the first round exit last year? Do they feel like they can do it again? What's the feeling around this hockey team up in Minnesota as we're just a month away from the season now or the preseason at least? You know, it's, I think there's a lot of disappointment with how things worked out with Kevin Fiala and the feeling that the wild have kind of boxed themselves in to, well, if we had done some things differently, Kevin Fiala would still be here. At the end of the day, it's Bill Guerin's team, and he's making the moves that he thinks are going to help this team out the most and are going to make them competitive, not only now, but uh, the big goal being to be hitting that full window once the buyouts are done um, two years after this season is done. So there is some disappointment from fans that uh, things worked out the way that they did, but Ultimately, I think a lot of that can be washed away if the team comes out and they just start racking up some wins. It's probably not going to be as flashy as it was last year. Um, You're not going to have as many of those dominant wins that we saw from the team um, over the course of the season. You're going to see a lot more 3-2, 4-2 type games. But I'll circle back to if the Wild buy in, to the, uh, the special teams and get some better defense and goaltending, I think they're going to be just fine. It, it probably won't be a franchise record for goals, all these players breaking the points mark, but they could still be a very dangerous team um, if they just uh, shore things up collectively a little bit and uh, just run back at it again, just like every other team in the Central trying to run it back and uh, dethrone the uh, Colorado Avalanche. So it's going to be interesting, that is for sure. And uh, there's a lot that could happen in the Central Division. So uh, let's wrap up by taking a look at the Central, kind of where things are at at this point. And uh, we'll do that as we continue today's crossover episode of Lockdown Wild and Lockdown Blackhawks after this. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end, people start to head out. You think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. No big deal. What are the odds you get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. 
That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're going to be okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Final segment of today's special crossover episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Blackhawks. Seth Topol joined by Jack Bushman. And Jack, we talked about it, had the rankings, ranking the uh, Central Division teams heading into this season. And uh, obviously, as you alluded to, Wild got second. Chicago in a transition, obviously lower down the list. Colorado Avalanche, the number one spot. What was your biggest gripe with the rankings? There wasn't really too big of a gripe for me. I think it's a, a little set in stone per se, where one, I think everyone feels like the Colorado Avalanche are ready to go back and gear up and make a run to win it all again. Two through six is just really a toss-up. Even Winnipeg, I know they're kind of the outsiders and uh, of that bunch in particular, but you know they could even surprise. Like you mentioned earlier, the Wild, the Blues, the Predators—they each made their moves, but it was nothing too stunning and nothing that really I think would put them over the hump or put them even close to being in contention with the Colorado Avalanche at number one. So I think for me, my, my biggest takeaway, I didn't have a gripe, but my biggest takeaway is really how up for grabs this division is in the middle of the pack. I think everyone knows Colorado's one, the Blackhawks and the Coyotes are, are fighting for seven and eight down there, but the rest of the division really is a toss up. Like I have no idea who's going to be second, third or fourth come next March, April or May when the playoffs roll around Seth. You know, the team that really is intriguing to me, cause I just, I literally cannot figure them out is the Winnipeg Jets. I have zero idea what to expect from that team. I just assume that having them at six is probably a good spot because of our colleague um our colleague who covers the Jets Mr uh Mr Harrison um for locked on Jets trying to blank as to his last name for some reason that's on me um i just assume that they're going to not be great but i have other people who like when we're talking about the the central division we're like hey don't sleep on the Winnipeg Jets i I have no idea what to expect from them. Yeah, they're completely random, and it feels like that they've had the same kind of guys forever, right? Like Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Mike, uh, Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers. The one thing I will say about them that, that gives them an edge is you almost know what you're going to get out of Connor Hellebuck at this point. Like, despite the team not being – or just being up and down in front of him, he's always remained consistent in his – I think one of the most slept on goaltenders in the entire NHL. And, you know, if Winnipeg can stay competitive, you can really ride a hot goaltender at the end of the year. So yeah, I I wouldn't completely count them out, even though it seems like that they really didn't do all of much. Uh, They have the same core there in place. And um, I know it hasn't been the most successful run for them. They don't have exactly a ton of playoff success to show for it, but they've been a very competitive group for quite a while now. So, yeah, I I absolutely wouldn't count them out, and I wouldn't be surprised at the same time if they finished ahead of Dallas and Nashville this season, right? 
Um, we both also agree in the fact that the Nashville Predators are weird. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they are banking on a lot of the same things that the Wild are banking on going into this season in all these players having just insanely good seasons and hoping that they can just simply replicate that and you'll be fine. But I, of the two teams, of the Wild and the Predators, if you had to ask me which team is more likely to have their players with career years repeat, I would say the Wild. Yeah, I would agree in the same sense. I think the Wild are in a uh, – it's weird because both teams, I think, have a, a decent prospect pool, but the Wilds, I think, has the higher talent, whereas if the same guys don't put up the same type of numbers, that there is some young talent coming through, maybe not this year, but moving forward. Nashville almost reminds me of like a Winnipeg junior. Like they, they still have the same kind of group of players – uh, the core hasn't changed all that much. You're still going to see Forsberg and Duchesne and Yossi, Johansson. Granlin's been there f- for a little bit too, uh, which honestly, did, did Nashville win that trade now that I think about it? Like, did, they're probably not, but no, that's, that's weird to think about in its own sense. But Nashville reminds, they give me Winnipeg vibes. Like, I could see them coming in third or fourth. I could also see them coming in sixth if, things don't go well for them. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the central division is going to have its makeup uh, come the meaningful months for sure. Yeah. And, and as we, as we talked about, I just, I really have no sense as to how this is going to play out because it seems like it's an either or for almost every team in this division. Like if the avalanche, if their goaltending situation, which could be good, but also could not, if it's not good, they're going to struggle way more with that this year than they would have last year. Uh, for the Blues, same thing. For you know, and you just go up, you just go down the list, and every team has that big factor that could hold them back. And so, I think it's just going to end up being the same thing that we saw last year, where a majority of the playoff teams come from the Central. You have a fight for the other spots in the Pacific, and then Vegas just is not in it. Please. They signed uh, old Phil Kessel the other day. Oh, Phil. How about that? How about that? Phil calling out the Coyotes, too, saying it's nice going to a team that actually wants to win. I was like, didn't have to do him like that, Philly, but I get it. I get it. I mean, I I get what he's saying, but do they this year? Yeah, (laughs) probably knowing how they've gone about business in their first few seasons as a franchise. I think they've they've dug themselves this hole now that it's kind of like we got to go for it. If we go back on it, we look even dumber, right? right. Like yeah. you put all your eggs in one basket when you made that Jack Eichel trade and really solidified that. Yeah, we're going to be in cap hell, but we're going to make it work. You got to just think- you got to just dig in and double down. I, I think that's the only way that makes sense for Vegas. So all in all, going to be a crazy year in the Central once again. And uh, no better place to stay up to date on your favorite Central Division teams, the Wilds and Chicago, by uh, listening to these fine shows, Locked on Wild and Locked on Blackhawks as well, which are free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts. So tune in all week long for new episodes from both shows as part of the Locked on Sports Podcast Network.